and we're in Jeremiah chapter 18. And uh, if you stop and you think about it, we're talking about shaping the future. And I'm thinking, you know, there's no better way to shape the future other than that of talking about missions and what that involves and how, you know, God is, is going to use us um, in the future in not just here in Redwood City, but also in other areas. And so, you know, last week we, we read our text, but let's read it again. Jeremiah chapter 18, the Old Testament there. Uh, beginning in verse 1, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom... Then I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I have intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore... Say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you, devising a plan against you. Return every one from his way, uh, from his evil way, and amend your ways and your deeds. Last week, just to remind you, we looked at uh, the first couple of verses here, and we saw, first of all, that God is in control, He is the potter at the wheel. And the, the potter here symbolizes God. So he's, he's making a simple point that the, the potter is, is actively working on this clay. It's another way, basically, of saying that God is in control. Uh, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Um, sometimes it doesn't appear that way. I know when we were in Honduras and you're seeing people burning things in the streets and yelling and screaming and, and uh, the missionaries seem overly concerned. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like God is in control of that situation, but he was. And so there is a potter. He's sitting at the wheel of your life. He's shaping you. He's molding you, the Bible tells us. And he's making you into the person that he desires you to be. The second point we looked at last week was the potter can transform a mistake into a masterpiece. Because the potter's at his wheel. Uh, Does that mean that you're never going to have any problems? Because the potter's in control. God's in control. So as a Christian, I'm just, you know, smooth sailing. It's going to be easy. No. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us just the opposite. At times, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. Uh, there will be times when the clay of your life gets marred. It gets, it gets pushed in a way that doesn't feel comfortable. Um, there will be times when things turn out not only different from the way you want them to turn out, but different even from the way God wants them to turn out. See, we can't stop and say, well, God is sovereign over everything, so therefore 
we become a fatalist and say, well, we, we don't have any choice about anything. The Bible doesn't teach that. Um, God doesn't design everything that happens. Now, it happens under his sovereign hand. But the good thing is, is that if, he, if, you, if you allow him to work in your life, he can, re, he can redesign anything that does happen. And that's why Jesus told us, we talked about this last week, that when he, he prayed, he says, pray that God's will will be done where? On earth, right? As it is in heaven. Why would you pray that if that's not, you know, if that's not true? God's will isn't being done here on earth. And so it says that he, in verse 4, he crushed it into the lump of clay again and he started over. The ESV says he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. Uh, the potter can transform anything. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life, what your past is like. He can make any mistake into a masterpiece. And then the third thing we looked at last week was God will shape your future if you're willing to be the clay. See, some of us don't want to be the clay. We don't want somebody else's hands pushing us and prodding us and making us do maybe things that we don't want to do. Uh, we become cold. We become old. We become brittle. Uh, we become less pliable. We, we don't want to be moldable or changeable. And yet that's exactly what God wants us to be. Um, I don't think we want to be a lump of clay just sitting on a wheel where there's nobody working on us. Besides just getting really, really dizzy, just spinning around aimlessly, you know, it'd be kind of boring after a while. It's exciting to know that God is at work, that he will turn and work. And, and if we're willing just to be the clay and sit there on the wheel and let him work, and that's what, what he says there in verses 5 and 6. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done? And so when we stop and we think of those points, that should encourage us, whether we're talking about missions, whether we're talking about the future of our church, whether we're talking about the future of this year, 2018, what God has for us. Um, the key is playing until it's over, persevering to the end. It's not going to be an easy ride necessarily, but we're called to persevere. We're, we're called to play until the end comes. And, you know, if you like sports, there's nothing better than a good comeback when you have a team that just is losing. And late in the game, somehow this team pulls it together and they, they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Um, we saw a game like that yesterday. If you watch football, I mean... What an amazing game it was, a playoff game of the Titans and the Falcons. And so when you stop and you think about it, you know, that's an encouraging thing. There, there was one playoff game that I remember when the Bills came from 35 points behind to beat the Oilers in overtime, and they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, a few days later, a few, a few years later, that same Oilers franchise was called the Tennessee Titans. And uh, they performed an incredible uh, miracle to beat the Bills in the final seconds of a playoff game. Or you think of John Elway's drive and 
1987, when he was with the Broncos, he took him 98 yards in the final seconds to win that AFC championship game. Um, you can go on YouTube and find that. It's, it's an incredible comeback. But the one thing, if you think about football, if you think about the sport of football, a comeback not only involves a battle against the opponent, right? You have the opposing team. But what else are you also battling against? The clock, right? You're battling against the clock. Um, and, and when you stop and you, you think about that, there's a lot of uh, comeback efforts that are stopped short when the clock runs out. Um, and I think that when we, when we, when we think of that, you know, that, that illustration, and you think of the illustration of baseball because it has an advantage, right, in that department because if you know anything about the, the game of baseball, there's no clock, right? There's no clock involved. Uh, no game is out of reach. It's never too late to win the game. You can't run out the clock in baseball. I was reading of some examples, and one was back in August of 2001. The Cleveland Indians were losing to the Seattle Mariners 14 to 2. 14 to 2 in a baseball game. Coming back from a 12 run deficit. That's unheard of in baseball. But you know what? They did it that day. They came back. They even scored five runs with two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning to do it. See, and that's where football and baseball, if you stop and think about it, are different. At some point in each football game, there comes a time in the play where the leading team, if they have a big enough lead, they can just, what, take a knee. They just run out the clock. Or even if they don't have a, a big enough uh, lead like the other day, you know, they can still take a knee if, if, if the clock is in their favor and run it out. In baseball, you can't coast out to a win. You can't just pull back and relax because in baseball, no lead is ever safe. No loss is ever certain. And if you think of life, life is like baseball. It really is. Um, and so when you stop and you, you think of, you know, shaping our future, what God wants us to do for 2018 there's a couple principles I want you to, to dwell on, and we'll look at them here in, the, in these verses. And this would be, it'd be quick, but it, it shows you the importance of playing till the end. The first principle is simply this. It's never too late to turn things around. That's what he says there in verses 7 and 8, right? If at any time, any time, I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, what will God do? I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do it, do to it. You know, you hear a lot of people today with alarming messages about our wonderful country, about America. Oh, it's over. It's no, nothing. It's never going to turn around. You know what? But it's not over till it's over. God could bring a, an incredible revival back to this nation. I don't, frankly, see that happening, but I don't know what God's plan is. It's never too late to turn things around. And sometimes I think people live their lives in such a way that it's too late. 
Maybe they feel too old or maybe they just feel, wow, they've done too much stuff. It's just there's too many consequences coming at me from two different sides. I'm just going to give up. Don't ever give up Um, because, you know, when you look throughout Scripture, you constantly see God taking those who are down, right? Those who are in the, the, the pit, the mire, the clay and pulling them out. And, and making them into something that he would desire. Just think of the apostle Paul, Saul. He's out there cr- killing Christians. I mean, he would not be on my number one list for somebody who's going to experience revival. You know, that's, it's, 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 it's kind of like saying, think of somebody, you know, that they're going to all of a sudden come to Christ and they're going to have a wonderful, you know, we don't, we don't believe that nowadays, but God can do that with people. He can turn their heart around. He can turn their life around. You remember Nineveh. The people of Nineveh were a good example. What did God do? God sent Jonah to preach to them. And he said, I don't want to go. This is ridiculous. Right? And he finally got there and he told them, you've got 40 days before God's judgment comes to this city. And what happened? The people of Nineveh repented. And what did God do? He relented. There was no judgment See, that works for nations, it works for cities, it works for individuals as well. And sometimes we, we fail to re- remind ourselves of that. Um, sometimes I do funerals for people I don't even know because they need somebody to do a funeral, so they'll call me up and ask if I'm available, and I'll say sure. And sometimes you get to know these people, and it's like, oh, why did I agree to this? You know, you're, you're talking to the family and they don't want anything to do with this funeral. They don't like the guy that died or the lady that died, it's, you know, whatever. And everything they tell you about this person is just negative. You know, just very, sometimes just evil people that they're talking about. And they died and let's just get through this or whatever. And I remember years ago, I did a, a, a funeral for an older gentleman who had passed away and it was that kind of scenario. All the information, all the family. I tried to meet with the family and talk to them. And so I'd have something to say at this guy's funeral, right? And everything was just bad. And finally, right before, it was over at um, the Redwood Chapel, right before the, the, you know, I had to go in front of these people and kind of have this message. Um, I ran into this guy who was coming out of the restroom because I go in and just make sure I looked okay. And he was coming out and I was going in and he said, are you the pastor? I said, yeah. He goes, are you doing this? Sir? I go, yeah. He goes, let me tell you a story. And he goes, you know, most of his family doesn't know this, but late in life, he used Charlie. Charlie came to Christ. It's about a year and a half ago. And he told me this story. And man, I went in there and I was able to share a message of hope with these people that otherwise I was really, I didn't know what I was going to say. I mean, you know, you always share scripture and that's fine. But I mean, to really say it with some confidence and give them some comfort. And, um, and I said, do you mind if I use that? He goes, no, they're not going to like it. But yeah, if you want to use it, go ahead. And they didn't like it, you know. Um, but you know what? It's never too late for God to turn things around. Even though it, it may be very discouraging, you may be sensing consequences that just seem overwhelming. It's never too late. And don't ever forget, your, your future's not written in stone. It's written in what? It's written in clay. It's written in clay. 
<clears throat> and there's still time to, to change direction in your life. It's never too late. Second thing here I want to share with you quickly is it's never too late to mess things up. <laughs> we all know that, right, from experience. And look at what he says in verse 9. He says, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I have intended to do to it. I mean, how's that for good news? It's a sobering thought to think that, you know what? You're never safe in the Christian life. You never reach some plateau where... Sin doesn't touch you anymore. You never get to a point in time where, boy, you're just a conqueror of all things. That's just not true. Um, Every great comeback story and every sporting competition has something in common. On the flip side, what? Of the comeback, (laughs) you have the team that, what? Blew the lead like we saw the other day. Sometimes a big lead. I remember, I remember this because I, I think it was a 2008 Super Bowl. It was the New England Patriots with the New York Giants. And the Patriots came. Remember, they had that perfect season. They didn't lose one game. And they were expected to win by at least two touchdowns. I can't remember if that was the weekend we had the best sets over for the, the, the Super Bowl or not. But I remember Kelly Bissett was a big Patriot fan. And back then, Eli Manning was kind of looked at as an underachiever, to be honest with you. But he pulled off this great comeback that day, and he put together a game-winning drive, and the Giants ended up winning that game. Uh, The Patriots came within 30 seconds of a perfect season. Perfect season. And they let it slip right through their fingers. Um. I wouldn't have wanted to be part of that team in the off season. <laughs> but Jeremiah 18 is here to remind us that we'll never, ever reach a place in our Christian life where we have arrived until we are in his presence, until we possess our glorified body. We're never going to reach the place where you can just kind of coast in our Christian lives. And I bring that up because it's important because I think today in our churches, we have a lot of Christians that think that they can just coast. I've been there, heard that, done that. I don't need to go to Bible study. I don't need to do this. I got it. I come to church once a week. That's all I need. No, it's not. There's a world out there that is, that is set against you at every turn. And there's an enemy that we face every day. And that's exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to buy into that motto of just, you know, just coast. You got more important things to do than get together with a bunch of Christians and have a Bible study or have a prayer meeting. Somebody says they call that the titanic fallacy. Thinking that they're too big to fail. They've been a Christian too long to fail. The titanic, you remember, was touted as being unsinkable. As a matter of fact, in the movie, it it, it has a line in the movie, and it was actually quoting a a white star line who who was the company that built the Titanic, um, one of their their executives, and they said when it was christened that God himself could not sink this ship because they were so proud of what they built. 
And it turns out God didn't sink the ship. An iceberg did, right? I mean, but the great mistake was just irresponsible. It was reckless to have that kind of a attitude. Um, and, and we've seen that play out over and over and over again. I mean, if I would have asked you back in the day, do you think Enron will go under? Most people would say no. Or the Lehman Brothers or Borders Bookstores. I mean, think about it. You can go through even, you know, dot-com companies that one time we just used, Netscape and all these things. And they're, not, they're not even around anymore. And so, you know, it's, it's sad, but you also see that happening to ministries. You see that happening even to churches. Um, I'm going to read this, and we'll share one last point, but... There's a story about a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were frequent. You've probably heard this, but it's a good reminder for us. A group of concerned citizens decided to build a a rescue station. So they put up a little hut, and uh, with one boat, the devoted group kept watch over the sea. And as ships would crash, they would risk their lives, and they rescued many of these people who crashed their boats into the, the rocks in front of the little hut. Well, after a while, the station became famous. More and more people wanted to be part of this mission, helping these, these lost sailors and, and things like that. And money came in to buy new boats and replace the emergency cots with new modern hospital beds. They even tore down the little cheap hut that they had built originally and built a multi-purpose facility. And the station soon became a popular gathering place for its members. And as more and more people attended the social events, fewer and fewer people had any interest in going out to sea. One day, a large ship wrecked off the coast. Boatloads of cold, wet, dirty, frightened people were brought in to the rescue facility. Some were sick, some were unsavory, some were desperate. And many of the the members of the club were upset. They said, if we allow our facilities to be overrun by these kind of people, they're going to run it down. They're going to get it dirty. And you know what? We're going to be left here to have to clean it up. We're going to be expected to pay for all the repairs. Let's make a new rule. No more shipwreck victims in our club. There were some who protested, wait a minute, we were first and foremost a life-saving station. We can't close our doors to those who are most in need. The team leader said, well, if you're not happy with the way we do things here, go start your own rescue station down the street. And so they did. See, unfortunately, that scenario has played itself out in churches and in ministries all over the world. Sometimes... They lose their compass. They drift out of existence. Sometimes they drift in, 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 in places and in, in, in ways that they shouldn't go. Sometimes they fail. Sometimes they fizzle. But all too often it happens when ministries begin to think that they have arrived. They ultimately squander their future. I don't want us ever to be a church that thinks somehow that we've arrived in any way, in any ministry. 
That, by the way, also happens in marriages. It happens in people's spiritual lives. They reach a point where they say, you know what? I'm unsinkable. Nothing can stop me now. I want you to hear the message today. You know what? You are sinkable. It can happen to any one of us. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let, lest anyone who thinks he stands take heed, what? Lest he fall. You know, it's easy to judge the man that got caught up in the pornography or the woman that had an affair or, or gossiping or whatever. But don't you think for one moment that you're not capable of walking down that same road. We have to be very, very careful about that kind of mentality. And he's reminding us here that it's never too late to mess up. I mean, you may have been a faithful husband, a wonderful father for 18 years. Just takes one glance. Just takes one wrong move. One wrong time, spending your time with someone who may not be your wife, where, boy, something happens. And all that goodness that you invested is gone, just like that. And don't think it can't happen to you. Don't try to coast in your spiritual life this new year. Take a close look at what you're doing today. Ask yourself, where's this road leading me? Okay, so I just come to church once a week. Is that good? What if I don't come to church at all? Does that even affect me? Well, what if I came to church twice a week? What if I invested in another kind of a Timothy disciple kind of relationship. What would happen then? Well, here's the third point from Jeremiah 18. It's never too late to take responsibility for your life. That's really what it comes down to, right? We're all responsible for our own spiritual walk. We're all responsible for our own selves. We have to take ownership. The ownership of where we've been and where we're going, where we're headed, that's why he says in verse 11, return, what? Everyone from his evil way. Notice the personal aspect of that verse. It doesn't say, hey, return everybody. No, it says everyone. And I will amend your ways and your deeds. He's basically calling the nation of Judah to repent. That's what he's doing. But how is he doing it? Because they've fallen into sin. They've fallen into this adulterous behavior Their nation is now headed in the wrong direction. It's headed toward destruction, not blessing. And sometimes we have that same attitude. Things aren't the way they ought to be. Someone ought to do something. That someone usually means someone else that doesn't include me. That's how people use that today. I mean, have you ever heard people talk about even our own country? Well, America needs to do this. America needs to do that. Only if America... Stop and think about how silly that is. You could never get all of America to do anything. You can't decide even what your own kids are going to do, let alone America. They're going to decide what they're going to do. That's why it's important that you nurture them with things of the Lord. Well, how does it happen? It happens individually. Individually, we'll be held accountable for what we do. And that's why God said, return everyone from his evil way. The NIV, NIV even makes it more clearer. He says, so turn from your evil ways, each one of you. He's not speaking 
to the group as a whole. He's speaking to each individual. And that's what I want to do to us today is, is I want this message to be to us as individuals, not even to us as a corporate church, but as individuals. Are we willing to take responsibility for our lives in what we do, where we spend our time, what we do in our off time? Instead of thinking, you know what, I'll do right when everyone else does right. We need to be able to stand up and say, you know what, no, I'm going to take responsibility for me. And I'm going to do the right thing come 2018. So Jeremiah isn't just saying that you're clay in the potter's hands. He's also saying that the future is like clay in your hands, if you think about it. You have a big say in the direction your life takes. The Bible talks about sowing and reaping. Just remember, your future's written in clay. It's not written in stone. And just like baseball, no lead is safe. But no loss is certain. You have to play until the end, the final out. It's not too late to win. It's not too late to lose. It's not even too late to get in the game. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's never too late. Today may be the day of salvation for you. So the message of Jeremiah 18 is that you will never get to the point where you do not matter. Um, Every day is important. Every day you can move in a direction of God's blessing. Every day you can take steps to undo certain mistakes that you've already made. Every day you can take greater control of your circumstances. And every day... You can see more of the glory of God come alive in your life. It's not too late. Let's play to the end. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these words that Jeremiah is able to speak into our lives. And we embrace them as we come to this new year of 2018. Lord, help us to set godly habits in in place. Help us to do things that will honor you with our time, our talents, our treasure. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of this church reaching out to one another and encouraging each other. But also, Lord, as we reach out across the way to missions beyond our own country even, Father, that these principles apply to them as well. And to be able to partner together as the body of Christ and have impact in places like India and Thailand and even Honduras, Washington State. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity that you've given us as a church to sow your word in the hearts of people. And Lord, we just pray that you would lead us and guide us throughout the rest of this day. Help us to keep our focus on you. And we're excited about what you're going to do in 2018. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.